Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The, the, the games are over, but the game never stops. Never stops. This is College Football Overtime with Garrett Chapman and Abe Gordon. Welcome into the College Football Overtime podcast. My name is Garrett Chapman. His name is Abe Gordon. Some people call this the offseason. I don't know what that means because this is college football, and college football doesn't have an offseason. The news cycle never stops, and we have a lot to get into right here on the College Football Overtime podcast. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, if you haven't already, make sure you like, make sure you subscribe and follow along each and every week as we are dropping new podcast episodes right here on this, well, whatever platform you're, you're going to be looking like, whether it's YouTube, <laughs> no matter where you are, audio or visual. But we got a lot to get into here on the College Football Overtime Podcast. Jerome Moore was hired as the head coach of the Michigan Wolverines. We have NIL Collectives doing some kind of shady stuff. And then Keishon Butte was doing something wild. But before we do any of that, Abe Gordon, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, Garrett. All I can say before we get into this main story is I guess they got that waiver, man. <laughs> I guess they got the waiver. Sharon Moore hired as the head coach of the Michigan Wolverines. And if you don't know what he's referencing, uh, in the state of Michigan, you have to have a job posting. A pu- if it's a public institution, they have to have the job posting for seven days just by state law. Of course, Jim Harbaugh moves on to the NFL. He takes the job with the Chargers for a very lucrative contract that I still don't know if we have seen yet. Have you heard any word on that? No, not the full I, numbers. Yeah, see, I haven't seen the number. I just heard it's lucrative for a couple of, for five years. Well, they quickly got their answer. It was this, the person that everybody, everybody who thought about it for maybe a quarter of a second said, hey, Sharon Moore is going to be the next head coach of the Michigan Wolverines. I'm glad they didn't make this, draw this process out. They didn't need to do that. They had the guy in-house. Everybody knew it, and I think I'm pretty happy about this. This is a guy who went 4-0 as the interim head coach in 2023. He was the primary play caller. I mean, he was the coach in, in all the biggest games of the regular season for the Michigan Wolverines, and I'm excited about the hire. The players are really excited about the hire. I think it's a, about as good a, a, a decision as you could make. I love it. Yeah, 
it's rare that you have like an obvious go-to succession plan, if you will, in, in, you know, break in case of emergency type of coach that Sharon Moore happened to be for the Michigan Wolverines. And, and look, two days after Harbaugh leaves, they, they obviously did get this waiver for quote legitimate business needs. And now it's time to go to work for Sharon Moore to re-recruit any guys who are thinking of entering the transfer portal. I don't know if you saw any, I, I didn't pick up too much on the news line in terms of guys that are looking to bail out of Michigan with Harbaugh leaving. I think a lot of them probably expected Sharon Moore to be named the head coach. And so it was, and this was a situation where it it seemed to be all the momentum one-sided. And what I mean by that is everyone was in favor of this. The the, uh, coaches have talked about the significance of Sharon Moore and what he meant to that ball club. Players have said the same thing. It, it was a very easy decision, as you mentioned. And look, he, he's got some things to prove. Uh, th- this is a Michigan team that is probably, at least in my expectations, taking a step backwards based on what they accomplished this year and, and what mm-hmm. they're uh, building and, and the roster and all that stuff. And they're losing just a heck of a ton of talent. So um, this is now a situation where you're, you're hopefully not taking too big a step back, but it is an yeah. opportunity to build this program in your name and make your mark. It is no longer Jim Harbaugh's Michigan. It is now Sharon Moore's Michigan squad. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I look forward to seeing what he can do. This was a guy that if Harbaugh had stayed at Michigan, um, maybe re-upped for a number of years, let's just play it out in a different, uh, a different world, right? Let's say Harbaugh goes back to Michigan, signs another big deal, whatever, whatever. Sharon Moore was going to get head coaching offers all across the country for big time jobs. I mean, it's no secret that this guy is a home run hire waiting to happen somewhere. It just so happened that the opportunity happened to be at the place he probably wanted to be. So it just made sense for all parts. And it's an easy hire, as you mentioned. And so now we move into the new era, the Sharon Moore era at the University of Michigan. And I am looking forward big time to seeing what he can accomplish on the heels of a national championship as an assistant coach. Yeah, I, I don't know how you're going to improve on what you did last year, 15-0, and 0, dominating just about <laughs> every step of the way. Um, you talked about Michigan losing players, and that's actually the first thing that I was going to be talking about is that was a critical thing for them. They needed to retain as much as possible because there's not a lot of talent left on that roster as far as starters from last season. They're losing all 11 offensive starters. And then they're losing seven defensive starters. I mean, it's it's going to be a completely different football team that's trotting out there. But some of the guys that they do have on that roster, we talked about it on the last podcast that, that went up on Thursday. They got like an all like a, like a potential first round draft pick at cornerback. They've got a, a depth tight end who would be on the short list of just about any program in America. He's one of the best tight ends in the country, and those were good enough players that people would be coming in and poaching and Sharon Moore needed to be hired. He needed to be hired as quickly as possible because this is a guy who's taking over at the helm at a point where Michigan Wolverine stock is as high as it's been at any point in the 21st century. You know, they have to continue to ride that high. I think this is not exactly a star studded program, but what I love about it, and I'm just talking like 24 seven composite star rating, mumbo jumbo but at the end of the day like this is a group that's it's built in the identity of jim harbaugh it's 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 lunch pail mentality 
type of football. And, and that is kind of what Sharone Moore is going to bring to this equation. He's a former offensive lineman. He cut his teeth blocking and with physicality. And I love offensive linemen who are head coaches. It's you can see that energy and passion when he coaches football. And I mean, look, the dude, people kind of ragged on him for it after the way he cried at the end of the, the game where he was installed as the head coach. And, um, I thought it was a little extra. I'll be honest. I was one of those people. I, th- I thought it was a little extra, but that's all right. It, it, it was a lot, but you know what? <laughs> it's the passion he brings. And, yeah. and I, at the end of the day, it's like. It's why the players and coaches love him. It's why they love him. It's yeah. why they love him. And I think it, it, I'm excited for it just in general. He, was, he proved that he's a pretty effective play caller. And he's not afraid to just do what works. You know, I mean, this is a guy who who called how many run plays in a row against Penn State? Yeah, like, 20, like, uh, 20 something, 20 30 something, something whatever running it was, plays yeah. in a row. That's not that only an offensive lineman would do something like that. You know, that's an offensive lineman sort of mentality, and he's going to out physical you and just beat you to a pulp. And that is that mentality that he brings to Michigan. And, and honestly, I'm really excited for it. I'm jacked for him. I, I'm a big fan uh, of Sharon Moore just in general. Um, but one thing that we have to bring up is the fact that this investigation of the alleged sign stealing with Connor Stallions and and everything else, it is still very much in the air as to what's going to happen. And and you talked about if Jim Harbaugh was retained, there's a reason he wasn't retained. It's because he wasn't going to get immunity for, for the Michigan Wolverine program if the, the sign-stealing stuff comes down and it's as bad as some people think it might be. So, look, this is a team that struck while the iron was hot last year. Congratulations to them for winning the national championship. They are the reigning champions, but when those investigation that investigation comes to light and those penalties start unra- unraveling, we'll see what this program really looks like. I, I think they'll be fine, and I, I really like that Sharon Moore is the guy, and I'm I'm excited for him. I'm excited for that program, but it, it, it could look very different depending on what those the in, inevitable pending whatever penalties are going to be coming. And yeah, and, and long term, that that may end up ultimately being the biggest challenge that he's faced with. It, it may yeah. not be um, maintaining the level that Jim Harbaugh had put this program at. It, it may be uh, maintaining a level of viability to get through sanctions or whatever. That that's yep. something that um, obviously remains to be seen in regards to what the actual penalties will be, who will it will be placed on, who will be affected most, we'll stuff see. like that. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's why we can get into the contract here as well. That's why I think there's there's quite a bit of leniency um, in regards to what the contract is now, but also what it could become based on on if there is a downside to those those infractions and those investigations. Yeah. So Moore's contract is for five years with a base salary of five hundred thousand dollars and five million dollars in additional compensation in year one. So his salary and additional compensation will each increase two percent. In the subsequent years, and Moore will receive five hundred thousand dollars per year if he remains the head coach for the entirety of the year. Additionally, he can earn up to three point five million dollars in bonuses, including five hundred thousand dollars for winning a conference championship and a million dollars for winning a national championship. His buyout starts at five million dollars and decreases to one mil- by one million dollars each year, down to one million in the final year of the contract. He's a first-time head coach, so. I don't think he was necessarily going to be come out and break the bank necessarily with this salary, but I know we said on the last podcast, it was like somewhere in the range of five to 6 million. We hit that on the nose, but that does still feel a little low, doesn't it? 
Well, a couple things here, and it does only because we're on the heels of the reports that they were preparing to make Jim Harbaugh the highest paid coach mm-hmm. in all the college football. So to go from the potential of 10 million or maybe even 10, 5, 11, whatever it would take for Harbaugh, all the way down to 5.5 5, uh, in year one with, with slight increases after that, it does feel a little bit undercutty. But I I also think that you're in a situation where with an unproven guy, you're just asking him to prove it a little bit. I I think you look at this deal and you Mm -hmm. say, especially if he can win after this year, considering what all they're losing, or if he looks to be building something in the future in year two or year three. I think it's very easy to sit down and say, here's the deal. Mm -hmm. You've done a heck of a job. We are winning ball games. And we are paying you 5.5. That's not right. Let's start at 7.2 or 7.5. I think it's very easy to see these two sides renegotiating in two or three years Mm -hmm. to get him into a salary that seems more likely of a guy that is the head coach of one of the top programs in one of the two big conferences that remain, the SEC and the Big Ten. Uh, But I do think it's okay for him to be at the numbers he's at now and prove his way into that. Uh, And I don't have a problem with Michigan playing that way. The problem for me will be if he proves it and they rely on him being a Michigan man and devoted to the university and all that crap that goes along with the hometown discount stuff. Mm -hmm. Nah, you do your guy right. I think we're all okay with it now, but if he proves the job, you do your guy right. And you hook him up, you hook his staff up, you get it. It doesn't have to be where Harbaugh was this past season, but it needs to be competitive with other top programs. And so, um, yeah, I'll have some patience in regard to the salary for sure. But uh, if he proves it, if he gets to that point, hook the man up with what he deserves. Let, let, let's not rely on the fact that the program is in this state and seems he was handed the job and you didn't have to do that or and none of that crap, okay? Mm-hmm. When he proves that he's winning games, when he's getting to the college football playoffs, et cetera, et cetera, go ahead and break the man off. But for now, I think five and a half million is a fair deal for both sides. I think it makes sense. I mean, the last head coach, Jim Harbaugh, of course, $8.3 million for him. Yeah. And to jump into the top 10 of your highest paid head coaches, you would have to ju- like exceed $10 million just about. Like You're like nine-ish million. And, and he'll get there, by the way. You will put him in the well, top 10 when he maybe. proves it. I think it's a fair maybe. I think it's a fair ask. Look, if this guy comes out balls out and wins a, a conference championship next year and yeah. beats Ohio State and, and and just sort of just picks up where they left off. And you from see last the rank season, the recruiting rankings in the top four, five, yeah. six. Yeah, I mean, he's yeah, gonna for be sure. up there. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm not worried about it. I don't think he's worried about it. That's generational money. So it's like at the end of the day, I mean, like you're doing just fine. Um and I think Sherman Moore is, is he's a good coach. He's a good coach. We'll see if the wins follow. Uh, because like I said earlier, it's it's this they're gonna be a tough spot. They're gonna be a tough spot. I mean, you have to replace your entire offense. If you just had to replace a couple of key pieces, like if Blake Corum and JJ McCarthy were the only guys leaving, and maybe Roman Wilson, you add those three guys, just those three are gone. That's a tough replacing. That's tough to replace. But the entire identity of your offense was experience it was grit and physicality and you're losing all of it and i am fascinated to see how the identity of that team uh, just look how it looks next year because i don't think it's going to be a step down in physicality necessarily but that's what that team was and 
that that's what made them great over the last couple of years. I mean, th- this is the same team that, that comes down to the Orange Bowl, and I know it didn't work out for them against Georgia, where they just said, run the damn ball. I love that energy. I love that. Of course, it didn't work out for them in that game, but I, I think it did It did last year, and, and, and that's just the way that they are. But I'm excited for Sharon Moore. I'm excited to see how it goes. I'm curious, though, what it looks like in that Ohio State game. Of course, that is going to be carrying a lot of implications. Of course, last year, Sharon Moore won that game. He was the interim head coach. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that, te- that technically counts as his win, right? But uh, there's a lot riding on that. Football look, 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 Ohio State is taking crazy jumps forward. We know that. Mm-hmm. And it's their back's against the wall in regards to Ryan Day. And they're probably going to enter as the number two team or number three team. Hey, look, all, all I'll say is this, because we don't need to get into the whole discussion there. But I, I would say this. The other thing about Michigan and Sharon Moore is, is don't panic if there's a significant step mm-hmm. back this season. I don't care who it is, Sharon Moore or Jim Harbaugh. This team is not going to be taking the steps that, that they were. I just, it's just my opinion. I just don't think no matter who the coach was, that they were going to be at the level they were at this past year. No, I think that's that. fair to say. And so I do think a little bit of patience is required from Michigan fans in regards to Sharon Moore in year one. I, I mm-hmm. look, Maybe he surprises. I said, I thought, you know, I told you this the other day, successful season, I think would be making the 12-team playoff. I think that'd be outstanding considering the positions that you're in and the schedule you're facing. So mm-hmm. that would be my goal to to kind of overachieve into that realm. I, I don't know. And, and and you play it out from there. Who knows what happens when you get into the playoffs? Um, but, but, but be prepared. If that's not the case, if you do find yourself 17th-ranked team in the nation, 23rd-ranked team, I think that's okay in year one you got to give this guy a chance to build and and grow because there is a huge decrease in talent from what they had this past year to what they're going to have next year yeah and taking a look at this this schedule too it is yeah brutal i mean you have texas in week two you have usc in week four uh and then you've got then you're into your your slate of, of Big Ten games, Washington Look, uh, it, in it's Seattle. A, it's a tough ask for any Oregon. college football fan, but be realistic oh. about what – be realistic. That's all I'm asking is be realistic. One, two, three, four, five. There's. It would not surprise me if this team goes eight and four, seven and five next season. Yeah, and, and look, that would if not that's surprise the case, me at all. And they like can still have a really good season. If that's the case, you're not going to be in the college football playoffs, and I think no. that's okay. That's all I'm that saying. I think that's okay. They're going to take a step back. We'll see what they yeah. do. It's a long offseason. Um, lots of preparation still to go. Lots, lots, and lots of offseason. It's too long. I hate the offseason. It's the worst time of the year. But let's move into something else here because there is something that you actually brought to my attention. I hadn't even seen this. But the status of NIL collectives is murky. That's probably the best way to describe it. It, it is. It is kind of shady, underhand business dealings. It's the kind of thing that, it was the underbelly of college football and college athletics in general for a very long time. And now it's just sort of been thrust into the light. And this actually comes from a, a, a tweet um, from Darren Heitner, who is um, a top sports trademark attorney for Sportico. And he says, quote, just heard about a player who signed an NIL collective contract, not realizing that it was an ex- that in it, includes a provision buried in the agreement that the collective will serve as his exclusive NIL agent. The collective may think it has leverage, but it doesn't let the player out. The player can destroy the school by going public about the very clear inducement to cause the athlete to enroll at the school that the collective promotes. 
the more oppressive collectives collectives make these contracts, the more exposure they're inviting to the schools that they are supposedly supporting. This is a dirty tactic. This is a very dirty tactic, but it's not something that is new. And this is, again, I said this on this podcast a few weeks ago, and I'll say it again. They absolutely need to protect these football players. They are being exploited by people who they're, they're signing contracts that they don't know what they're signing. They don't know. They think that they're being protected because this is with the school. They're affiliated with the school, but they're not. These are, these are vultures. These are predators. These are people preying on 17, 18, 19 year old kids who don't really know what they're doing with this. And many of the, I mean, their parents don't have experience with any of this. What do we, what do we expect these kids to do? So we need to, we need to get rid of all this. Uh, there, there needs to be some form of collective bargaining. They need to make these kids employees and we need to move on into the, into the 21st century. Yeah. What you're dealing with here, Garrett, is what it appears to be a regulated industry that is actually unregulated. Um, and, and that is where you get into trouble is believing, uh, if you're these kids believing that they have, what is your best interest in mind, stuff yep. like that. And this is why, um, you're going to get problems. And I think you're going to get problems on both sides, um, from the money that's coming into the collectives, but also, uh, on the flip side, it, what it requires of the players or student athletes receiving that money. And look, it's one thing for a collective offer to above board offer right of first refusal, stuff like that uh, in terms of being your agent. It's another thing to hide it in the fine print that we are the ones controlling any other NIL deals. Money comes through us to you. That is not the plan. That is not the point. And I think you're going to see this uh, over the next couple of years. And, and, and again, we need to move to, towards a lot more regulated um, scenarios, but I think you're going to see colleges, specifically football teams and basketball teams, have people on the athletic department staff who who are dealing with the best players' interest in mind. It's almost like um, el- people who you know, they're, they're, colleges have people who are there to help with eligibility and make sure players are doing what's required to remain eligible. I think there's going to be extra roles on staff. Not not necessarily a football team, uh, uh, you know, job per se, um, but something within the athletic department that is that is the NIL or the collective equivalent of like an eligibility advisor, something like that. And so that probably needs to come into play quickly. Players, uh, ha- they have to have someone they can trust, someone they can go to to help them get through the legalese of these contracts. Um, but also for suggestions and advice. And obviously, as we turn to this story, um, mm-hmm. trusting and believing in the collectives as having their best interest in heart mm-hmm. at mind. Um, just like everything else, man, the money runs, uh, excuse me, the business runs on money. Um, yeah. And NI collectives are no different, unfortunately. Yeah. It's dangerous. It's just so yeah. dangerous. And you flash the money in front of some of these kids and they sign the dotted line. They say, all you got to do is sign. That's it. Just sign your name. Just sign. I mean, how many times are you getting just regulation writing here, the rest of the contract? It's just standard operating procedure. You know, that crap. And, and you believe them and you believe them because 
you think that they are they have your best interests at heart and they don't they don't give a damn about you you're just the next guy you know and they're going to profit off of you as best as they possibly can and you see this happening in, in the music industry all the time you see this happening all over athletics and you let the fox into the hen house with a lot of this stuff and i i just it, it, some of it's sticky and i'm not and not all collectives are doing stuff like this of course not but but when you have things things happen like the the university of florida going through and and, and promising five million dollars to a recruit and it's just and then just flip around and, and not do and not fulfill your end of the bargain i mean it's just it, there are things that have been happening here that are, it, it's just completely unregulated nobody knows what's happening we've described it as the wild west on this podcast it's and that's probably it's, it's a bit cliche but that's the best way to describe it it's no there are no laws there is nothing tying anybody to anything and so you just sign these contracts that are just whatever and then here yeah, we and, are. and the other frustrating thing is it does negatively um it does bring a negative image to the school when they're really not yeah. at fault unfortunately they, they it's out of their hands they are they are tied to the schools sure as a representative but not in, in a real manner only by mm-hmm. um you know only by affiliation if you will is we're a we're a Florida state collective. That doesn't mean we come from Florida state. And so there, yeah. but there's no way to avoid the stories of so-and-so collective says this, but does that mm-hmm. whether the school is involved directly or not is, is irrelevant at that point. It's the image. It's the scenery of that. Uh, and, and that's what is going to ultimately hurt schools, even though they don't have much say. And that's why, as I suggest, it's in the interest of the schools to find a way to legally advise these kids separate of the collective itself. Yeah. But the, the the other big thing with all of this is sometimes you have these collective, well, I guess you can't pay them technically until they become actual student athletes. You can promise to pay them, but you cannot actually pay them until they are enrolled in the school. Right. Isn't that the thing just to avoid the quote unquote pay for play, which is hogwash because it's, of course it's pay for play. That's where we are in this industry right now. But, We'll see what gets on with it. I think you you have you've taken sort of a laissez-faire approach where the market's going to correct itself here one of these years and and, and eventually that's going to happen. I, I, I'm I agree that it will eventually, but they have to do something because at some point there's going to be ha- somebody's going to have to step up and do something because there are there are kids who are getting taken advantage of. There are things that are bad things that are happening right now. People are losing a lot of money. And once the money actually gets through, then <laughs> then maybe people will start paying a little bit more attention to, to all of this stuff. But speaking of money and losing money, or in this case, making a lot of money, how about Kayshawn Butte? Did you hear about this? This man is accused of creating an online betting account under a fake name and placed 8,900 illegal bets. 17 of those bets apparently were on NCAA football games. Six were on wagers or wagers on LSU football while he was a member of the LSU Tigers. And this is all according to a state police news report. But that's not even the craziest part. The great, well, he used his mom's credit card and he deposited a total of $132,000 into this account. And he won a total of $556,000. So, at the end of the day, 
maybe he should like if the NFL doesn't work out, maybe he can give out some gambling advice because yeah, look pretty good. I mean, it worked for Tim Donaghy after he announced that he had been helping fix games. He goes to jail. He comes out. He starts a website that helps you bet on games. And so uh, maybe that is the next line. I think Butte actually did ultimately lose all that money. Uh, I know I did see the numbers that you read off a little, but I, I, I also saw that most of that 500 some odd thousand was eventually bet back into. So who knows? But, but yeah, it, it's just. It's just another situation that people have to be aware of that as gambling becomes legal in more states, especially across the Southeast, um, you got to be aware. You, you got to be smart. Um, don't don't do stuff that is is um, don't do stuff that's illegal, like like you're jeopardizing uh, future careers, stuff like this. It's just unnecessary, especially when you're dealing with underage stuff like that. So. Um, yeah, uh, it, it's, it's a wild story. It, it was an interesting read. Um, uh, mm-hmm. but ultimately uh, you got to make better decisions and, and that's all I can suggest is, is think through it. Um, think, think through the real positives versus the potential negatives of every of these impact decisions you're going to make, uh, before picking up that credit card or whatever. Um, could you have some fun and win some money? Sure. Could it ultimately ruin your life one monetarily and financially, but also, um legally stuff like that i I mean you just got to be smarter yeah and that's the biggest thing is the fact that he was under the age of 21 while he was doing this and he was doing it under a fake name and uh, used fake information which you know is called fraud so he was uh so he surrenders to authorities on thursday on a felony charge of computer fraud and a misdemeanor count of gambling prohibited for persons under the age of 21 he was released from bail or on a, on a $6,000 bail. But the craziest thing is this is a professional athlete. Now he's listed on the, well, the New England formerly, I don't know if he ever gets, I don't back know if he NFL. will. Yeah. He may or may not. This is not a good look, you know, because computer fraud is punishable by a fine of up to $10,000 in a prison term of five years or less. Illegal gambling carries maximum penalties of $1,000 and six months in jail. Because so this is this is something he could go to prison over this. He could spend the next, like three, four, five years in jail because this is a. I mean, it's a big deal. That's a really big deal. Fraud, computer fraud, especially in this day and age, man. You, like you got to be smarter than that. You got to be smarter than that, and it's not worth it to to gamble a little bit. And if you know somebody, like I understand, I understand having a bookie or doing something else like that. But some of it, ugh, dude, man, like that's that's big money. That's big, big money, and you've got to be smarter than that. Yeah, look, at the end of the day, you're not allowed to gamble on football if you're in the NFL, which he is, uh, and so be smarter along those lines. But yeah. it, it just you're going to have – for anyone who, who's thinking you, – you got a lifetime to bet on stuff. Like, just wait wait till it's legal. Like, that's, that, that's really what – I mean, my goodness, you're throwing away your life, your career – um, in the NFL as a professional athlete for stupid decisions. It's just, you know, grow up. That's all. Yeah. And and the biggest red flag is that he was gambling on games that he was playing in at yeah. LSU. Yeah. That's a big deal. You cannot do something like that. That is so stupid because I mean, you saw the stuff that, that Pete Rose went through when he was yeah, gambling we know. I, on his yeah, team we know. to win. He was just betting on his team to win. And, and now he has effectively a life. You know, he has a lifetime ban from baseball. You know, I mean, you got to see the mistakes of of the people who came before you, and you can't make them yourself. But, oh, boy. 
we'll see what happens uh, with Keishon Butte. He, of course, he's not in prison any, or in jail anymore. He, he posted his bail, and so we'll see what happens. He'll probably be, be going through the court cases here over the next couple of weeks. But you know what? That's it for us right here on the College Football Overtime Podcast. Uh, offseason's a long time, but don't worry. We're here, and we'll keep you company for the next couple of months right here on the College Football Overtime Podcast. For Abe Gordon, my name is Garrett Chapman. Make sure you are like, make sure you are subscribed, because why not? Get you more great content from us. But until next time, we'll be uh, we'll be right here. So see you next time.